Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week, your San Francisco 49ers are the only undefeated team in the NFC. And on this bi-week edition of the pod, we have got a very special guest, the guest you've all been clamoring for. It's Mr. Brian Peacock from Lockdown 49ers. Brian, how's it going? Yes, it's going fantastic, man. I'm excited to be here on Better Rivals. It's it's good to have you on, man. This is this is the dream team pod. Uh, it's been rumored. We've done it once before. We've done it a couple times before, actually. Uh, but now you're officially here uh, on this bi week surprise. Absolutely. And for all the people that have been clamoring for it and want a full time Brian Peacock, Oscar Aparicio podcast, just think of all the podcasts you would lose. I think those people out there, if they thought it through, they'd rather have us each doing separate podcasts so they still had both. Otherwise, less podcasts. Come on. This is the beauty. Of, this is the beauty of, of both of our podcasts. We both do very different things. Yours is more of a daily podcast. It's more of a like, hey, let's talk about the news. Let's get some guests on. Uh, we like to dive into super deep onto some of the analytics yeah. and some of the scheme. Uh, so really, the world is better for having both of us. I totally agree with that, one hundred percent. I I think I had David on the show once, and I, I we we said it was like basically you guys are Marquise Goodwin. You go deep, but less often. And I was the. At the time, I think I was the Anquan Bolden, sort of moving the chains. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. So we've got a really good show so far. We're going to preview the Cleveland game. That's what this show is going to be entirely about. But we're also going to bring back a segment that I like to call Bar Fight, uh, which is where we have an argument, basically, like you would have in an argument with your buddies in a bar about a topic that some knucklehead 49ers fans come at you at, because it all started with our my, my Mullen stand in basketball, whom I haven't seen for a while. Are you familiar with the Mullen stand, Brian? No. So basically, I play basketball Friday mornings, and there's this other 49ers fan that plays with me. And every single week throughout the preseason and offseason, he kept trying to convince me that, that Nick Mullins was the answer and Jimmy Garoppolo was not a good quarterback. And so I've basically been having this argument both with him and on the podcast, uh, and we created a segment about it called Bar Fight, kind of like if your friend comes at you with, oh, Nick Mullins is a better quarterback, this is how you should reply. And so the question we'll answer on this bar fight is, have the 49ers played anyone? Uh, because that's what all of my family keeps saying. And they say, like, oh, it's, it's not the same 3-0. It's not the same undefeated. So we'll, we'll engage in a little bit of that banter at the end of the Browns preview. I like that a lot. Questionable playing basketball Friday morning. That's an odd time. Oh, yeah. It's, it's great. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a bunch of old dudes, and we play like old dudes play. So I'm all about it. All right, so let's get to the Browns game, though, because it's a battle of division leaders. I mean, this is a, a place we did not expect necessarily the 49ers to be in, but here they are. And it's the first time the Browns have been atop the division since week 10 of 2014. They had a pretty rocky month, those Browns, but they are now 2-2, two and two, and they are entering into this Monday night game tied atop their division. And of course, the Niners are at the top of their division. So the first question really in previewing this Browns game is whether or not the 49ers can overcome their secondary depth. And that's been the story of the week so far. Uh, so, Brian, tell me what's going on with the secondary. What's going on with the depth? And, and who would they sign? Because I hear that he's one of your favorite cornerbacks. Oh, Tease Tabor. Yeah, he's awful. And I, when I first saw that they signed him, I was thinking, <laughs> come on, you think that's an upgrade over anybody? But it's just a practice squad thing. And as we've seen this week, they're going to, looks like, just filter dudes through the practice squad and see what sticks, which is probably a great strategy for the, the practice squad. And uh, Tease Tabor is maybe a little bit better zone guy. I mean, you, you don't want him to man up on anybody. He ran a 4.6 coming out of college, and he doesn't even look like he's that fast. It was funny, uh, when I was trying to find an image for my podcast the day after they signed him, I was looking through the USA Today images is what we use, and 
every picture of T's Tabor was him giving up a touchdown reception. So, um, and one of them was actually, well, actually it wasn't a touchdown. I think it was a 35 yarder that Dante Pettis caught last year, week two against the lions. And, and guess who was in coverage? It was T's Tabor. So that was the image I used. And, uh, that's pretty much what you can expect. And there's a reason that a second round pick was already released from the lions. So not great there. Um, oh yeah. And by the way, those 2014 Browns you mentioned earlier, those were Kyle Shanahan's Browns, were they not? That's exactly right. They were indeed Kyle Shanahan's Browns. This is basically the Shanahan Bowl. Uh, it's the the <laughs> last team that was good under him. And now, you know, of course, it, it's going to be interesting to see if there's any revenge element. I doubt it. But uh, wrapping up T's Tabor, guess what his NFL quarterback rating allowed in coverage was in 2018? 158.3. That's exactly is right. Is that right? <laughs> that is exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah, he basically the only good game that he had uh, was sometime around week five against Green Bay, which is interesting. But by and large, uh, dude is just not good at football. Um, and, and so now you've got him, but you're absolutely right. He's a practice squad player. Really, the, the story is going to be that Emmanuel Mosley is probably going to get the start over Jason Verrett. And, you know, I, I can't say that I'm surprised, especially with Verrett's play on those two snaps uh, in the, the game against the Steelers. But really, this is going to be a really test for the 49ers in their secondary because this is exactly what we all feared. We feared them getting their secondary tested either through injury uh, or some other reason. And now they're facing the Browns who play uh, some spread looks. They've got very, 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 very talented wide receivers. Uh, and this could be a problem for the 49ers in this game. Yeah, and when when it comes to Jason Verrett, you thought, okay, well, at least they've got a veteran player in here that when he's healthy, he can be a very good player. And the fact that he was healthy and they yanked him after two plays tells you all you need to know about where Jason Verrett is after not playing for you know almost two years. And that's not a good situation. The fact that he probably won't be able to stay healthy long term. And when he is healthy, he might not be that guy that you needed him to be or that he used to be. But when it comes to Emmanuel Mosley, I actually like him a lot. And I think the 49ers are in a better place with Mosley where he's at in year two than they are at left tackle with Justin School. Because Mosley's a really good athlete. He tested exactly how you'd want a cornerback to test coming out of Tennessee. 4-4-2 at his pro day. I think 39-inch vertical. He's a good athlete. And I think it was Eric Crocker I had on my podcast last year during training camp. And he's like, yeah, Mosley's better. I don't know who this dude Mosley is, but he's better than Tarverius McFadden. And, and I would he would make the team for me over McFadden. And he was 100% right. And then Mosley looked even better this training camp and preseason. So I liked what I've seen from Mosley. I think athletically he can play. I, I, I don't know how he went undrafted because he's a, he's a good player. So I like Mosley. I just don't necessarily like Mosley against, you know, one of the most talented players in the NFL in Odell Beckham. Well, it's certainly going to be a test for him. I mean, he's 23 years old. He's an undrafted player in his second year, and this is going to be his first start. But I think you're exactly right. He fits the athletic profile you want of someone who has the ability to succeed at corner. And I think they probably yanked Verrett a little early, but now the reports are, of course, that he's a little nicked up. And, and that's concerning for multiple reasons. One, if he is nicked up, then your cornerback depth is even more shallow. But if he's not nicked up and the Niners are just saying that he's nicked up in order to maybe give someone else or justify someone else's playing time, that's that's a different kind of, of thing, I think, to be concerned about because it's like, why? If Emmanuel Mosley really beat him out, then just say, hey, Emmanuel Mosley's been here, he's put in the work, and he's getting the start. And, and I don't think that would surprise a ton of people um, because he was someone who's been with the team for... Uh, you know, now a whole year, he's in his second year, and, and he's kind of moved up and put in the work. So that's that's going to be interesting. The other move they made, of course, was promoting Marcel Harris and releasing Antoine Exum, 
which was a little surprising because Antoine Exum was one of those more versatile guys who's, who's played well in spurts, more of a solid veteran presence. But it seemed like the team maybe wanted to get faster or get younger for Marcel Harris, someone who is literally a replacement level player because he was on the practice squad. And now it gets moved to the, the 52. Uh, that was an interesting move for me. Uh, what were your thoughts? I didn't understand that move at all. And it would have seemed that maybe if one of the guys was nicked up and let's say Exum was nicked up and they weren't sure he'd be able to go. They wanted to make sure they had a, a full complement of defensive backs for Monday night football, but I, there's nothing with Exum going on there. And Marcel Harris isn't going to be you know better in coverage than Exum is. So that move did, doesn't really make a lot of sense. And I don't know what Marcellus Harris could have done the last three or four weeks that he didn't show in training camp. They weren't worried about losing him when they waived him. Uh, they liked him enough to bring him back, but I, I don't really know why they would make that move now and really what it does is it hurts their depth even further. So if another safety gets hurt, now you don't have Exum anymore if he gets picked up by somebody else, and so you're losing two guys. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I can think of is that a team came in and made an offer yeah. to move him to their 53, and the Niners said, no, here, we'll move you, and since it's you know kind of more of a bottom-of-the-roster move anyway, um, and he's got some value on special teams, maybe that was the impetus, but I think you're absolutely right. I, I don't understand the move other than something like that happening. Uh, now, just to put a fine point on Emmanuel Mosley, of course, you know, we love P-Spark uh, or the Spark ratings here on the Better Rivals podcast. Uh, his rank last year was third in the draft class. Denzel Ward, of course, oh, wow. was the best athlete in the class. Christian Campbell uh, out of Penn State was two. Emmanuel Mosley coming in three uh, on 3sigmaathlete.com, uh, which is Zach Whitman's website where he maintains all those Spark scores last year. So you're absolutely right. He's an athlete. I'm glad he's getting a start because if he is another positive development, that's just another quill in the 49ers or another arrow, uh, I should say, in the quill for the 49ers because that you can never have too many good cornerbacks. And the 49ers, are, uh, the Browns really are proving it to the Niners as to why that's the case because they're coming in with an offense that is going to be difficult to stop unless the 49ers defense plays perhaps one of its best games because Baker Mayfield is good at quarterbacking. Uh, and when he's throwing the ball to Odell Beckham uh, or Jarvis Landry, who is in the concussion protocol, but he still may have a chance to play, especially with the extra day. Antonio Callaway is coming from uh, is coming back from suspension. Um, so they've got a really deep wide receiver core. And it doesn't matter whether or not Landry's blown up for 100 and some odd yards or Odell Beckham is threatening as he always does. It's going to be a test for every single one of the players in the 49ers secondary. Yeah. And to your point with the P-Spark and the athleticism from Emmanuel Mosley, and he's versatile too. He can play outside and play inside, which I think is huge. But that's why the tease Tabor signing is more of a head scratcher because you would think that you would want to bring in somebody like Mosley, someone that has athleticism that maybe just hasn't put it all together yet that could become something instead of bringing in a player that you know is already bad. And if all you need is a veteran, then it would seem like someone like Dante Johnson, even though he's not very good at all, would make more sense because he knows the scheme and he's someone that could plug in easily if you had to plug somebody in so you know someone like um the undrafted rookie from Alabama Smith who's a really good athlete he was a five-star recruit someone like that would have made more sense than Tabor to me because you at least see if you could you know turn the light on for a young guy that could potentially be something so yeah the tease move I don't get um they did bring in Quentin uh Quentin Meeks who I liked coming out of Stanford. So he makes some sense, and, and maybe they'll sign somebody to the active roster as well. I know some of the beat writers said that that's a possibility, and maybe because of Jason Verrett being nicked up, maybe that's why they would do something like that and, and add two players. 
Yeah, I think ultimately when you're looking at that secondary, I think Mosley provides some versatility because I think you're right. If he does move inside, let's say that the, the Browns go four wide to, to test that depth. I think Mosley moves inside. Uh, I think you have Rhett come out and then play the outside corner. Uh, and then maybe you've got, and then of course you've got K1 on the slot and you've got Sherman on the other side. Uh, I'm curious what they do with Jimmy Ward because of course the team seems to love him and and he could continue his ping-ponging around nickel or corner or safety depending on where he goes because I think the Browns are going to be hard to stop. The first thing I think the Niners defense have to do is is they've got to make Baker Mayfield think. And and that doesn't necessarily come part of that's a secondary, but that's going to come with the front. Freddie Kitchen said that of course this is going to be one of the more talented fronts that he's seen uh, and he's absolutely right. The Niners have a fantastic defensive line. But what's interesting is that the Titans had some success making Baker Mayfield think, and they did so with with simulated pressure looks. Now, what the hell is a simulated pressure look? It basically, it's where it looks like it's going to be a blitz, but ultimately the team just sends four. You'll see a lot of uh, like mug fronts where they'll put linebackers in, in both the A-gaps and then they drop out. Maybe they'll blitz a corner and then drop, yes, a lineman uh, or a defensive end on the other side to get into a short zone. But making Baker Mayfield think that he's getting pressure, screwing up with the protections, making him skittish in the pocket, I think is one way the Niners can can kind of ground Mayfield because they're going to have to. Because if you let Mayfield sit back there and pick you apart, he's too good a quarterback to to you know just rely on lining up and playing some straight defense. Yeah, and just letting him sit back and sling it and have some good down and distance situations is probably the worst thing that could happen to the 49ers. And so I think a lot of that is... Nick Chubb, who's a beast. And we saw him break out last week. And I'm a little bit worried that the 49ers got the Browns at the wrong time because it looks like they figured something out last week beating a good team, whereas they're losing to bad teams before. Uh, They beat the Ravens handily. And Nick Chubb was a huge part of that. And I think that just makes things easier for everybody else. And one of the things I noticed from the Browns earlier in the season is, especially when it came to Nick Chubb, is he was, you know, a lot of uh, draws and, uh, zone read and like, you know, the RPO stuff where inside zone where he was kind of flat footed. And I think they did a lot more downhill type stuff with him, which really helped. And then in turn, that helped the play action and helped uh, Baker Mayfield do some things. And, and they kind of got Jarvis Landry going out of the slot more. And it just it really just all started to click. And it's it's unfortunate that the 49ers get to face the Cleveland Browns after they've kind of figured things out and started to click because they didn't look great in the first couple of weeks. Well, they made a shift from weeks one to three to week four. And this was a tweet I saw from, and I'm going to mess up his last name because, hey, we got to stay on brand here at the Better <laughs> Rivals podcast. Uh, Ball Hembekides, uh, I think, uh, uh, at Paul Hembo. But he said, Browns and 12 personnel, two tight ends. Weeks one through three, 24 plays, 3.9 yards per play. Week four at the Ravens, 24 plays, 11.4 yeah. yards per play. So they ran as many. 12 personnel plays in week four against the Ravens as they did in weeks one through three combined. And one of the plays that was really successful for them was this kind of uh, RPO with Ricky Seals Jones, which, hey, that guy still exists. <laughs> uh, but he he would line up, you know, as one of the two tight ends. And then Baker Mayfield would effectively run the RPO. But now you've got Ricky Seals Jones in the middle of the field against a linebacker who has already come up uh, to maybe defend against the run. And, and that worked a couple of times to great success with the, the Browns. And that was a big reason why they had such a high yards per play in, in week four. So, I mean, the RPO is absolutely something the 49ers defense is going to have to be prepared to, to go up against because it really is a foundational piece of the Browns offense. Right. And with Ricky Seals Jones, I, I love him because his name is a sentence. It's like, what did you seal Jones with, Ricky? 
did you you know saran wrap we talking about tupperware <laughs> but yeah the rpos that's definitely a heavy part of their offense to hit jarvis landry on a few of those and just you know the quick boom boom plays and that kind of goes into what we were talking about before and i think it's a big win it's the one thing that i think the 49ers need and will get is a clear win from their defensive line versus the browns offensive line and if the linebackers can hold their water and they can kind of stay back and be in their zones and not bite too hard on the run on those RPOs, that'll really help them out. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see how, and look, I think nationally Fred Warner and Quan Alexander are probably not getting the credit they deserve. This might be a national breakout game for that pair. And really, you know, the world being like, Oh, the 49ers not only have a good defensive line, you know, and they've got D Ford and they've got, DeForest Buckner and they've got Nick Bosa and they've got Jimmy Garoppolo quarterback and Kyle Shanahan and all this stuff and GM John Lynch former player that's all anybody talks about with the 49ers we might come out of Monday Night Football being like oh man Fred Warner and Quan Alexander is like one of the better young linebacking duos in the league this is really going to be a test for them and it's really going to be a test for them in coverage which is one thing that they've done relatively well in the first four games uh, well three games for the 49ers but ultimately, the RPO is about putting defenders in conflict. Are you a run-first defender or are you a pass-first defender? And for a lot of teams, linebackers are indeed run-first defenders. Yep. And that's kind of the problem, right? The line blocks. And if the linebacker reads his keys and he's like, oh, this is going to be a run, they're going to react. They're going to step up. And just that one step is going to vacate an area. And Baker Mayfield throws the ball too quick and with too much zip. And Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry are also equally good off the line where that turns into a touchdown uh, or at the very least it's going to turn into a seven eight nine ten yard game it happened to the rams on a lot of plays their hook defender their linebackers just took a couple steps towards the run play side and baker hit the backside route with incredible zip i mean it was almost like clockwork over and over and over again how well they were able to hit the rpo it's something that they practice they practice it often and they're really really good at it and they're going to hit you with it a couple of different ways they're going to be they're going to do the, like the traditional zone read with the running back moving across the quarterback on a zone run and then they're running a backside slant. The key here is that the the wide receiver runs the route to the same side that the running back lines up to. And that's going to be a key for that kind of that that hook defender, that that area where he's like, "All right, if the, if the running backs line up over here, I'm probably going to see a route to that same side on an RPO." But then they they start changing it up. They're going to come at it from a heavy set like we were talking about earlier with Ricky Seals Jones. They'll also change it where the wide receiver runs the route from the other side. And so the team is going to have to be prepared for all the different ways that the Browns are going to come at them with those RPOs because that's the foundational piece of their offense. And if they can begin to stop that, then all of a sudden the Browns offense becomes a lot less dynamic. And if you can just base the lineup and rush them, that's going to be a pretty positive recipe for the 49ers. Absolutely. And actually, it reminds me of something that we just talked about with all the 12 personnel that the Browns used last week that I think is something they should continue to do. And I remember seeing this in week one against the Buccaneers, especially in the second half. And even with the Bucs down in the second half against the 49ers, they kind of got Ronald Jones going and they were running a lot of 12 personnel and those two tight ends. And I think if I was an offensive coordinator against the 49ers front and, and with the defensive ends out wide, I think two tight ends is a really good way to attack them in the run game because you get those tight ends that, that, that keep the defensive ends out there. Then you can double team both defensive tackles if you want and then create some space inside and then if you get Nick Chubb going downhill in that way uh, that's something I would look for definitely from the Browns and the 49ers are gonna have to, to come up big to to try to thwart that if that is in fact and it looks like they figured something out last week that that's the way the Browns are gonna attack this thing from the run game perspective 
Yeah, it's going to be an interesting decision for the Browns because the question that if I were Freddie Kitchens that I would ask myself is, do I want their their Sam linebacker in the game or do I want their third their third DB in the game? Because the, the Niners are going to have to decide whether or really the, the Browns can dictate that with their personnel. And, and I don't know, man, I think at this point, I'd probably still want the Niners third, fourth or fifth DB out there before I'd want their linebacker. I would probably, if I was the Browns, rather be facing Greenlaw than Kwan Williams. But the 49ers are getting very thin, and if you start getting into that, I mean, DJ Reed can play a little bit, and he can play outside and inside. Uh, it's just, you know, is it just going to be like it was last year, where every team was like, well, Richard Sherman's over here, and maybe he's not fast anymore, but he can shut people down basically with reputation. So we'll just leave that alone, and let's just throw left all day. And I'm worried it's going to become that again for the 49ers if Emmanuel Mosley isn't up to snuff and he's not ready to go. And if Jason Verrett's nicked up on top of being, you know, not in football shape or, or whatever is going on with him. And then things could get ugly because then it's not about scheming more Then it's just like, let's just attack this weakness until they can stop it. Yeah. You know, I, I think it depends because I, and I do think that they should probably test Mosley early. The, the Niners are going to defend the, the Browns in a couple of different ways. One way to defend the RPO really is, is with single high and it's with man coverage across the board. Um, because that way you've just got a man on a man and it's difficult to run that slant or that route when everyone's manned up. And that's going to be difficult for the Niners to do when you're looking at potentially Jarvis Landry against Emmanuel Mosley or Odell Beckham against Emmanuel Mosley. Because while the Niners do move Sherman around um, and, and he has kind of followed some wide receivers in the past, he's not a shadow corner at this point. So chances are he's not going to shadow Sherman. So wherever they put Odell, whether it be in the slot, he'll be against Kwan, or whether it's going to be, you know, kind of out wide, he'll be on one of the two corners. It's going to be difficult, I think, for any wide receiver, for any corner to just man up Odell. And so at that point, then you're going to have to basically reduce conflict on the Browns during the Browns offense by basically saying, all right, linebacker, you are a pass first defender and I'm going to rotate my safety into the box. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, maybe that's why they, they promoted Marcel Harris. You know, maybe they thought they could get some some kind of looks from him as an in-the-box safety with some speed. Um, but I think the Niners are probably going to be seeing a lot of rotation from the defensive uh, backfield and making sure their safeties are up there to support the run because that they're going to have to in order to really combat the RPOs. Yeah, I wonder if, because that could go either way because maybe the 49ers want to show pre-snap reads for Baker Mayfield and have him sort of pre-snap think, okay, there's only six in the box right now, so I'm definitely throwing this. Or or uh, there's only six in the box right now, so I'm definitely going to hand this ball off. And the 49ers might want to try to force the Browns to hand the ball off and hopefully into the strength of their defense and then let their their front six at that point basically do all the work. So that that's that's going to be an interesting chess match there. And I agree with you. That's going to be one of the biggest things that determines this game. And it comes down to that 49ers front really winning and having a convincing win against the Browns offensive line, which I think is definitely possible. But... Um, yeah, Mosley, OBJ, it's a tough one. It's going to be a tough test for the 49ers. And I know a lot of people are like, yeah, they haven't played anybody. And, you know, even the Browns aren't that good. So you got to wait till week six. I think this will be a huge test for the 49ers. And I will be impressed with a victory for the 49ers on Monday Night Football just because of where they're at health-wise and, and missing two really big pieces in Joe Staley and Akella Witherspoon. Yeah, you know, so you mentioned that the safety is rotating. That's something that's happened more this season than it has in seasons past. And that's something that's going to benefit the 49ers against a team like the Browns. Because when you're able to rotate, when you're able to keep those safeties up and you're not always going to move your strong safety to the strength of the passing formation, you're able to disguise your coverage a little bit more. 
that's something that in the first couple of games did confuse Baker a bit. The teams threw a few exotic looks at him, especially the Titans. I don't know that the Niners are going to throw necessarily a lot of exotic looks at him, but that ro- that safety rotation will indeed not make it obvious as to what the Niners are playing. This is one of the things they've done this season. It's something that the Ravens did against the Browns, and they had some success with it. It wasn't as much success as uh, some of the other plays, uh, some of the other teams, I should say. But ultimately, I think that it's going to be uh, a t- uh, something that's going to to really stress the 49ers defense out. And, and I think you're right, because the, the, that, that defensive line is going to be where the 49ers win the game. And you look at the, the person you're attacking, and it's, it's got to be Greg Robinson. Nick Bosa against Greg Robinson is going to be the thing that will help turn the game for the Niners because Bosa lines up pretty much exclusively over the left tackle. 99% of his snaps have been over the left tackle. Uh, and Greg Robinson has been Cleveland's second worst offensive lineman uh, because their first worst offensive lineman, Eric Cush, has allowed 11 pressures on just 172 pass snaps. That's hashtag not great, Bob. <laughs> it's, it's pretty terrible. Like, it is... That may be below Jordan Devi uh, terrible. Like Zane Beatles, Jordan Devi. This is the pressure area that Eric Cush is uh, is occupying right now. And so if you can get Bosa lined up against Robinson and you can have him win as he is wont to do. Uh, and then you've got someone on the interior, like let's say, I don't know, DeForest Buckner yeah. going up against Cush. Then that's when you can really begin to to see Baker Mayfield be affected, not get time, get skittish in the pocket. Uh, and then hopefully the that secondary can cover when he gets plays out of structure. Yeah, absolutely. And and Baker Mayfield is a bit of what I would call a front runner too. So I think getting him mentally out of it, you know, when when he's up and things are going great, he'll tell you how great he is and he's puffing out his chest and, and things go south a little bit, uh, maybe get him grabbing his crotch on the sideline, you know, get get them angry at each other at halftime, arguing, infighting with all those personalities, not wanting to talk to reporters after the game. That's the kind of level of frustration I think the 49ers need to get at Baker Mayfield. And I love the way you put it, just making him think. I think that's that's really key for the 49ers in this game. And, and I'm interested to see if they can do that. And I think they can, because I think they have some clear wins on the defensive line there. And and that's going to put, it's going to put uh, some stress on Baker Mayfield. Now on offense, of course, the Browns have some secondary issues of their own. Because Greedy Williams and Denzel Ward, a couple of fantastic cornerbacks, uh, they're day-to-day with hamstring issues. They've been out for, uh, they they missed last game. TBD as to whether or not they're going to make this game against the 49ers. And the two corners that are replacing them, TJ Carey and Terrence Mitchell, they might be targets, even though they've played okay in spurts. Uh, I would say Mitchell uh, played well last week, but TJ Carey has been pretty much average. And so if you're looking for a place to attack, um, then you're going to look at those corners, um, and you can also attack Eric Murray, uh, who's been their slot guy, because if the Browns are going to play as much man coverage as they did against the Rams, it's going to be an opportunity for the 49ers wide receivers to say, I'm going to beat you one-on-one. Um, and, and it's exactly going to be perhaps a situation like you outlined before, where teams can just line up and man up and say, we can take you out with our corners. And, and this is where I think the 49ers wide receivers have got to step up, because I think Jerry Rice said on the Mayoko podcast that, the Niners wide receivers are good. They just got to really kind of take the bull by the horns. And it, it echoes something that Shanahan said about no one really elevating themselves and no one really kind of winning that number one job. This may be a game where those wide receivers begin to do that and really begin to be that number one guy when they're manned up against the Browns corners. Yeah, and I've questioned the usage with the 49ers wide receivers. And I thought, look, once Debo Samuel won that starting wide receiver job. I don't like yanking him in and out of the lineup, but obviously he's a rookie wide receiver. 
notoriously rookie wide receivers, it's a difficult transition into the NFL. His offense was stupid at South Carolina. The first time I watched Debo Samuel leading up to the draft, I was like, I can't watch this. This is terrible. I, I can't. He's like running half speed and like maybe throw me the ball and then I'll run with it afterwards. I don't know. It's just, you know, crossers and it was really bad and not fun to watch. And then when he got to the senior bowl, you got to see him run more NFL routes. And you're thinking, oh, this guy's ridiculous. He's so good. But I think the transition's tough. And I think we're seeing, you know, he's physically gifted. He can go moss dudes and go take the ball out of the air. He can run after the catch. He's built like a running back. And I love the attitude. And it's exactly what the 49ers need. So I would want him out there as much as possible to maybe even if he's not, maybe if Dante Pettis, just because he's got a year in the league, is, is slightly better today. I think Debo Samuel is going to be better by some point this season. I want to get him out there and, and have the most reps possible. And so I, I want to see if Dante Pettis is going to play. I'd rather him play the X spot that he was playing last year or go in and out of the lineup there with, with Marquise Goodwin. I know Marquise brings the speed, but if you really want to get Dante Pettis into the football game, I would love to see Debo and Dante together. And we haven't seen that yet. And that's something I would really like to see. But it doesn't seem like that's in the cards right now for the 49ers. You know, I, I do think that Shanahan has a plan for certain wide receivers on the team. And and he is treating this unit as a complimentary unit. While I think that he thinks that Shanahan thinks Pettis can be the number one. He's not there yet. And so you, you see the types of plays that he runs for Debo Samuel. He's putting him in situations to succeed. I mean, there's a reason that running Debo on a slant to, to get a first down is part of the drinking game for the Better Rivals podcast because that is where Debo Samuel wins. It's also getting him in the ball in space. Uh, on some of those more deceptive kind of, hey, he's going to run in, in fly motion, and then you throw him the ball on that screen. He really wants to get him in space, and he it's it's clear that he treats him like a wide receiver hybrid running back. Oh, w. Um, and so, oh yeah, offensive weapon. Offensive like, weapon. Yeah, yeah. Like, that that's 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 not his name. He's not a fullback. Um, so so I think that that he's got a plan for each one of these wide receivers, and and that's probably why you're seeing some of that rotation. I, I can't argue with a lot of the plan. I think it makes sense. As to how he's utilizing them, especially if no one's going to really, really emerge as that lead wide receiver. Now, of course, Jalen Hurd could come back this week. He had a, a, a reaction in his back, a stress reaction, which is the first time I've ever heard that, which is interesting. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that he I don't think he'll be active for this game, to be honest with you. I think especially with the short turnaround next week, they will probably shelve him for one more week and then maybe play uh, on the, the following Sunday. But I think that overall, Shanahan's plan for these guys and, and the usage so far makes sense. No, that makes sense. And I get where you're going with that. And when it comes to Jalen Hurd, I question whether he would be active either because I talked about how difficult it is for a rookie wide receiver to transition into the NFL. What about a guy who played a lot of running back in college and then hasn't been able to practice for the last month? So I would be surprised if Jalen Hurd is the guy who's suited up. But eventually... There's another OW right there, and we had talked about this uh, off the air when we were planning on doing this show. Is there, like, is there, maybe not to this extent, but is there, like, in the distant future, and it looks like Kyle Shanahan's sort of driving this idea a little bit, we're not talking about fullbacks, running backs, tight ends, wide receivers, we're talking about literally 12 OWs, like, very positionless football, because I think of all the players that Shanahan has brought in and spent money on, it's been that type of a player, Jarek McKinnon, and and, you know, I think you and I agreed. It was like, why are you paying a fullback all of this money? And George Kittle. And when you look at and the game-winning play, the Dante Pettis touchdown, it was 21 personnel. Two running backs on the field. They're inside the 10-yard line. You've got to play your bigs against that. And then the backfield is empty. 
And so it's very difficult to defend that. And so I, I see where he's going with this. And it is, is Shanahan overthinking it? Is he overdoing it? Or are we maybe headed sort of in that direction? Because almost every running back in the league has to be a receiver nowadays. I think we are probably headed that way, especially with the prevalence of the passing game. I, I don't think that versatility for versatility's sake is the goal. I think deception is the goal. That's ultimately the point of doing what it is that Shanahan's doing. And I do think that it makes perfect sense to to make every eligible receiver on your team have the ability to be an eligible receiver. This is something that Bill Walsh did. It was really one of the foundations of his West Coast offense when he was with the, the 49ers is really saying like, look, everyone's a threat to catch the ball. And that includes the fullback. And, and so that idea isn't new. But the the idea that everything on offense is a lot about deception is something that's really been it, it, the, the, the spotlight has been shown on that over the last probably three, four or five years. I mean, the prevalence of play action, play action, that's deception. You've got passing out of heavy sets. That's deception. It seems like a run heavy set. Oh, my God, they're passing, you know, or running out of pass sets where the Rams are running out of 11 personnel. It really is about deception, even on the more granular level. When you look at the route concepts that Shanahan puts together, he's got things that look like they have the same route stem. And then what was a post is now going to be, you know, kind of a swirl route where it just, you know, comes back or it breaks to the sideline and the corner has been seeing one thing for the whole game. And then bam, you hit them with something else. It's all about deception. And so ultimately I do think that the, the, the game is going there. It's already going there with hybrid defenses. Uh, Cody Alexander wrote a great book uh, called hybrids, the making of a modern defense. And it's a lot of history. And he's got another one that, that goes more into the X's and O's of, of hybrid defenders, but that's something that Bill Belichick's done for a while. So I think that it's really about deception. And if hybrid players allow you to be more deceptive, then I think that's that's a good thing. Um, I don't know that you need to pay 3x what you should for a fullback in order to get there. But <laughs> I think the idea that you want to deceive with your personnel is absolutely the right strategy. And it's one I think that's helped Kyle Shanahan be such a great play caller. Is Mitch Wishnowski an OW? That's the question. No, get out of here. We don't even have time for a punter update this week. We, man, I got, dude, punter Twitter is strong. Punter Twitter is strong. So I think uh, uh, I, I replied to a tweet uh, from from someone who, oh, man, I forget the original tweet. I forget who it was. But they posted a bunch of Wisnowski stats. And, and of course, it was like, you know, it was like yards per punt. You know, it, it was all these numbers outside of context. And I was like, okay, these numbers sound good on paper, but ultimately they're not even like in the like the top half uh, of the league in most cases and and he's only punted seven times like yes he's absolutely shown some promise but let's not crown him just because he's got a 46.3 or whatever average per attempt it's like let's just let's just tamp it down a bit right yeah you <laughs> I, love I want that, him to be an all pro i love that he can tackle people and i love that he was an aussie rules football player but he's not even the best foreign punter with a nickname that goes to the Scottish hammer, the lefty punter. Have you seen the Scottish hammer? I have seen the Scottish hammer and his flowing locks. How yes. can you miss him? Right, exactly. So um, if Mitch Wisnowski worth a fourth, I don't know how the Scottish hammer went undrafted and wasn't a first round draft pick. Yeah, I look, I, I love, I want Wisnowski to be an all pro. I'm all for it. Um, but at this point, I'm just like, you know what? Let's just, let's lean into the joke. Because at this point, <laughs> right. getting, getting getting angry about bunting uh, is not what I want in my life, man. The Niners are three and zero. They're leading the division. Things are things are right in the world. And you know what? If that means I'm just going to have to sarcastically support a punter, let's do it, man. I'm all about it. I'm with you, man. I, I hope he's a great punter, but uh, I'm still never spending a fourth rounder on a punter. That's just me. 
Uh, I agree that that's you and most teams. Uh, so let's let's agree to agree. Yeah, I like it. Before we get to the return of some other Niners that are coming back from injuries, let's take just a brief break to hear from our sponsors. So talking about injuries, right? We talked a bit about Jalen Hurd. Now, Jeff Wilson, of course, is a running back. And the question I've got for you is whether or not Jeff Wilson as a running back matters, because it looks like Tevin Coleman might be back. His ankle looks good. And if he's back, then that means that one of the, the one of the running backs is going to need to be deactivated um, or potentially um, you know, they don't need to cut him, but it, it could be a release that situation. They feel like they need to bolster somewhere else. So what do you do with Jeff Wilson at this point? Because uh, as was pointed out to me on Twitter, if you remove him, you remove all the 49ers rushing touchdowns. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's a great point. Um, and no, Jeff Wilson doesn't matter because no running backs matter. But I do like Jeff Wilson, and I think that at this point he's going to get snapped up. I was I didn't think he was going to actually make it back to the practice squad after the initial cuts at the end of training camp. And I think you know at just showing that he's a good short yardage back and probably the best short yardage back on the 49ers, and I think even better than you know Tevin Coleman would be, but. Tevin Coleman's going to get that role. Tevin Coleman's probably going to get most of, you know, if they were to sort of do a traditional, you know, first and second down, third down back, uh, goal line back situation. I think Tevin Coleman would get those third down snaps, would get the goal line carries. So Wilson at that point would definitely be the inactive player, but I would probably not cut him at this point. But if they have to bring in another defensive back, if they bring in an offensive tackle or something like that, the numbers are going to get pretty thin. And so, uh, me personally, I'd start looking at C.J. Beathard as the guy that needs to go. And if anybody's offering any sort of a draft pick, I would have taken that a long time ago. It doesn't seem like the 49ers are going to do that. So maybe Jeff Wilson does find himself off the roster on another roster, maybe back on the practice squad. But I, I doubt the 49ers can activate more than three running backs. And once Coleman's back, I think that's bad news for Jeff Wilson. And then the question becomes, how do they divvy up snaps on offense? Because to me, Matt Breed is the clear best back and he should get at least the 1A to Coleman's 1B in carries. You know, to me, I, I love Jeff Wilson. I think he's great. But let's let's not pretend as though his skill is not replaceable. True. At this point, you, I mean, the, the Niners have proven that whether it be an undrafted free agent in Matt Breida or whether it be another guy you sign off the street in Raheem Mostert or whether it be another undrafted free agent in Jeff Wilson, that you can't find running backs that can produce in this scheme. You look at the touchdowns that that Jeff Wilson's run, and he's really been leaning on those counter runs, which is going to be really interesting to see whether or not the the prevalence on the counter run and more of a gap scheme, which is not something the Niners have been known for traditionally under that wide zone Kyle Shanahan kind of preferential run that he has, is something the Niners are going to continue. But the second touchdown that he scored against the Steelers, I mean, he didn't get touched until was until he was a yard past the line of scrimmage, and he just had to fall into the end zone for another yard. And, and so I think that the, the, the idea that he is somehow uniquely qualified to run one or two yards near the goal line is like, no, you know who's uniquely qualified to get one or two yards on the goal line? The center, the guard, the <laughs> other guard. Like, those are the people that are really getting those extra yards. And Jeff Wilson, I mean, you plug someone else in there, and they're going to get that yard as well. And so I think that, you know, you can, you can probably cut him, and he probably will get snapped up by someone else. Or maybe you trade him for a sixth or a seventh round pick to a, a running back and ED team, and and all of a sudden you're you're kind of back where you started, and you find you find another Jeff Wilson. 
That's a good point. And a lot of, I think a lot of it is just shocking that the 49ers can put the ball in the end zone when they're close to it. And so maybe that's it. And, you know, like you're saying, running a little bit more gap stuff around the goal line is probably a smart move. So I do hope the 49ers continue to do that, no matter if Jeff Wilson's in the backfield or not. All right. Well, before we get to the the bar fight segment, let's get to your kind of preview or your your kind of prediction for what you think is going to happen in the Browns game, uh, because the Vegas line actually has the 49ers at three point favorites here. Uh, and so let me let me take a quick look at the over under here. Probably should have had the over under 40. I early. think it's 47 last I looked. And I, uh, maybe it was just the the line I was looking at. It was at three and a half, but it might have moved. So maybe there's some money coming in on the, the Browns at that point. But I think the over under. Yeah, I, I pulled the line. I pulled the line, I think, two days ago. So it could have moved to three and a half, which would be interesting, I think, in terms of line movement. But oh, yeah. So you've got 47 as the over under and you've got three, maybe four. Uh, what do you think happens here? I still do like the 49ers. Um, I would have liked the 49ers a lot better in week three or four against the Browns than right now because of the guys that they lost and because of what I saw from the Browns last week. But I do like the 49ers in this game. I think Levi's Stadium for the first time, maybe in its existence, has become sort of a, a true home field advantage for the 49ers. I think the house will be rocking. It's a primetime football game. The 49ers are the home team. The Browns have to be the ones that are traveling in. So I like the 49ers in this one. I think 47 is a pretty good number. Uh, I would have it pretty close to that, you know, 27-21 49ers. This one's tough for me. I, I do think that the Niners win, but I don't think they cover. I think it's going to be tight, and I think there's going to be a little bit more scoring than than you might think. I mean, a 47, that, that probably is a good number, but I think that you're probably going to get into like 28-24, um, which I guess is a four-point spread, so they would cover at that point. Um, you know, or, or 28, 27, um, it, probably in that realm, but I think it, it pushes 50, which would be surprising because that means that it's going to get, it's going to get wild on Monday night. I think, um, I think a lot of it really comes down to injuries. If greedy Williams and Denzel Ward don't play, I think that's good for the 49ers. And, and ultimately I think, I think Mosley ends up playing a solid game. And if he plays a solid game, then I think the Niners have a chance because if they let, if they let those wide receivers just run in some regular zones and they don't go back to some tight coverage, uh, I think it's going to be problematic for the Niners. But overall, I think they have the ability to to ride their defense to uh, another win. And I think that the, this is going to be a really interesting 4-0 team going up against uh, the next game, uh, which I think is the Rams, right? Yeah, Rams are up in week six in Los Angeles. The Rams did not look good in Los Angeles in, in week four. Uh, one of the things actually that I just was reminded of while you were talking there is on the offensive side of the ball for the 49ers, you still got Justin School versus... Miles Garrett, which might be one of the biggest mismatches in the league just because you have a rookie sixth rounder going against a guy that I saw just abuse Kelvin Beecham of the Jets a couple of weeks ago, pushing him straight into the back of, uh, straight, straight in the face of the quarterback, and it was not pretty, and that guy's a freak of nature. Do you think we're going to see a lot more of what we saw last week with the 49ers just staying away from him, basically just running to the right all day where they have success anyway, and then maybe helping him out and leaving Mike McGlinchey just one-on-one -on -one with whoever on the other side? And by the way, I like what the Steelers did there, bringing pressure off of that side with no help on the right side of the 49ers offense. But Jimmy Garoppolo had one of his sneaky best games, getting the ball out quick and, and finding receivers there. And I mean, it's like, okay, if, if we're going to see that Garoppolo, then then bring that heat off the right side. If we're not going to, you know, if we're going to help out on the left side with Miles Garrett. So one of the best things that Jimmy Garoppolo did against the Steelers to neutralize that rush was get the ball out quickly. 
I mean, ultimately, he had, I think, like he got the ball out in about 2.33 seconds, which was really, really fast compared to the rest of the league and really compared to even what he was doing previously. But he is a player that gets the ball out quickly. And, and that is going to help the that's going to help the school a lot more than than just about anything else. I imagine the school is going to get some help from the running backs. I also think he's going to get some help from tight ends. But, you know, as you were talking about Miles Garrett, I was like, oh, crap, I forgot about Miles Garrett. I think I like selectively forgot that he existed for a minute <laughs> because I wanted to be in a world where I didn't have to worry about blocking Miles Garrett with a rookie sixth rounder. So I think I'm going to revise my prediction uh, altogether. I'm going to say, you know what? It's a low scoring game. Uh, it's going to be like 21-17. Who scores more touchdowns, Jeff Wilson or Miles Garrett? <laughs> that's a good one. I think I'm still going to go Jeff Wilson for this one, um, but that's that's a close one. That's a close one at that point because Miles Garrett, uh, Miles Garrett would cause the fumble. He would not necessarily score the touchdown. Although if he does, he's got speed and he he's got breakaway speed. But yeah, that's that's where you start to get really worried for Jimmy Garoppolo too. And uh, I'm glad it wasn't school's first game that he had to face Miles Garrett and Bud Dupree's, you know, an athletic guy, but he's no Miles Garrett. And that's one of the reasons why I was like, okay, Emmanuel Mosley, he's in year two. He's athletically exactly what you're looking for in an NFL cornerback. Justin School is top heavy. He's not exactly your height, weight, speed specimen, and he's going against maybe the the most freaky height, weight, speed specimen in the league. All right, uh, quick check. The 235 is what he got the ball out in in week three. 2.35 seconds, which, which was actually still pretty quick. It was still top five in the league. Um, and Tom Brady being, of course, the fastest in general at 225. Do you think the 49ers are going to need to use that and maybe try to even give it, get it out quicker? Are we just going to start dumping it off? Are we going to spread it out a little bit, Patriots style, and try to... I mean, I know Trent Taylor's not there, but maybe more focus on the slot and just really be like, okay, let's get the ball out as literally fast as we possibly can. No, because I, I do think that two, three, uh, two, three, five is still really, really fast. So I don't know that they're going to get much faster than that, especially because they, they will still have play action plays that are a little bit longer developing. So I know they'll probably still be around that area, but that's going to be what's going to help Justin school much more than anything else is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo getting the ball out quickly. And it will be easier uh, if he's got kind of lesser corners to throw against. But all right, let's get to bar fight because the question that I get asked by my family or really get made fun of now by my family who are apparently comprised of like Rams fans and Cowboys fans, which is the weirdest thing ever, um, <laughs> is, is that the Niners haven't played anyone. So if you, Mr. Brian, were to be approached at a bar and you're having, you know, a beverage or two and someone were to say, man, the Niners haven't played anyone, what do you tell them? Uh, I tell them that the ball is oblong and anything can happen and that the Buccaneers just beat the Rams that were supposed to be the best team in the NFC in Los Angeles last week. So don't give me that hogwash that the 49ers haven't beat anybody. But at the same time, I agree because there are some teams around the league that have some great records that got to play some very bad football teams. And there are some bad football teams in the league. And, and there's a couple that are really good and a couple that are really bad. But most of the teams are right in the middle. And I think every win is is a pretty important win and a pretty big win in the NFL because almost any team can beat almost any team most weeks. Yeah, you know, I would say something very similar. I would say, okay, first of all, first of all, let's see, are the Patriots any good? Well, who have they beat? The Steelers, the Lolfins, the Jets, and the Bills. <laughs> yeah. Okay, all right. So, But the Patriots have Tom Brady. Okay, well, the, the team, I would say, just like you, that the Niners have actually beat that are pretty good, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Because guess what? Tampa Bay 
is the seventh best team based on efficiency overall. If you're looking at football outsiders efficiency metrics, this is the also the same Buccaneers that just beat the Rams and threw up 55 points on the Rams because that's a team that actually has some talent on defense and has some really, really difficult weapons to defeat on offense. And the Niners completely grounded that defense altogether. But then on top of that, we spotted a bad team, five turnovers, and still won the game. So yes, we may not have drubbed the Pittsburgh Steelers as much as we should have, uh, but quite frankly, we spotted them five turnovers, still beat them, completely demolished the Bengals, which you should do if you're a good team, beat a Tampa Bay team that I think is going to be sneaky good this year, and even in the first quarter of the year has been a top 10 team. So I would say, no, sir, you are incorrect. The 49ers have played someone. It just happens to be the Bucks. But then on top of that, you should trounce the people that are worse than you. And the Niners have to the tune of spotting them five turnovers and doing it. And oh, by the way, let's see how they play on Monday. And that's how I would just right. pound my beer on the ground and just walk out and say, I'm out and just leave. Yes. And I would say, here's the tape of the 49ers defense against the Pittsburgh Steelers after every turnover. And then I would break my beer bottle on the ground and stab the person. Oh, so you would go with the Australian glass. You would glass someone. (laughs) Yes. And they might live long enough just to see that last bit of film that I gave them and then die knowing that I won the argument. This got dark. This got really dark really quickly. I mean, we went from like being excited about winning a bar argument to like Joe Pesching a dude at a bar with a pen uh, or a beer bottle. You know, it's. The, the Australian Wisnowski fans will enjoy the glassing, uh, as that is a traditional Friday night in Australia. Uh, and with that, my friend, we, uh, we bring the podcast to a close. I love it. If I was playing Friday morning basketball, uh, I would probably have to kill the other guy that was trying to also be John Stockton on the team. So if that's the guy you're arguing with, then definitely we're going uh, to shank somebody in that argument. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm definitely arguing against more of a, uh, I wouldn't say he's Draymond. I would say he's like, uh, no, he's not Horace Grant either. Um, who who Robert would Traylor. he be? Uh, you know, that's actually not a bad one. That's not a bad one. Let's go with that. Uh, but Brian, thanks for jumping on. Thanks for being a guest here on a, a very special edition of the Better Rivals podcast, the Locked On Better Rivals podcast, if you will. Uh, where can they follow you on the Twitters and where can they get their, where can they get your podcast more importantly? Yeah, you can find my podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can also go to LockedOn49ers.com. And you can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. And Oscar, I just want to say it was an absolute pleasure to be here on the Better Rivals podcast. Absolutely. Folks, you can always follow me on Twitter at Better Rivals. Thanks again, Brian, for joining. And as always, go Niners. Go Niners.